0: All right, everybody. In one more one more session, so we will. um, In this one, we'll think together about what we're calling their place. So what we mean is, first first talk, we're considering this specific local church, what we're about. Second one, we're considering personally contributions that we make to that larger mission that we have together, and then in the last one, we want to think about the need for um, more churches in other places and the role that this church ought to play um, in that. Now, that might seem like uh, sort of an odd thing to say if I put it in a, in, a, in a sentence. Churches help churches. That should just be normal. Churches help churches. Now, that might seem uh, like... For many Christians, a rather odd thing to say, that churches ought to help churches. And the reason that's odd, the reasons that's odd, there's probably many of them, but I was thinking of two in particular. There's two common problems. Number one, the problem of of competition. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, churches are often competitive toward other churches. Um, There is, uh, compared to other parts of the country. There's relatively little of that here, Um, however, it does still exist, and so um, churches can feel like a weird, bizarre jealousy that my church is supposed to be the best one and better than the next one down the street, Um, and that's super disgusting and ugly and unhealthy. Uh, A second problem is uh, the problem of, of sort of an isolationism, and what I mean by that is Um, Every church, frankly, it doesn't matter the size, the budget, the denomination or lack of denomination. Every church has enough internal stuff they've got to deal with that you can just be self-absorbed and self-consumed. And that can cause sort of a… there can be legitimate struggle to meet the legitimate needs in a in every single local church. There's always a need for more workers in a particular ministry area, more money to do a particular thing, um, more people needed to handle a particular problem. That's true. It does not matter how many dozens of people or thousands of people are present. That doesn't ever change. And so it's easy to get just sort of self-consumed. But the very fabric of God's design for Christ's body is that we would be stitched together in healthy partnerships. Now, where do we get this idea? Well, there are lots of lines of thought we could trace out scripturally to see that um, what I'm describing to you isn't, uh, isn't novel, but rather it's what the Bible itself teaches, but I want to start with one that is the most obvious, and incidentally, it's also the most neglected uh, in its contribution to this conversation. If you would, in your Bibles, look at the end of Matthew 28 with me. So, Matthew 28, and, and we'll look at 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So, if you've been around church at all, familiar with the Bible at all, this will be a passage that you've heard. It's broadly known as the Great Commission. Right at the end of Jesus' life, I mean, ministry, He says this, Jesus came to them, so He's lived His life, died His death, rose again, and He's about to ascend to heaven. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then he left. The Great Commission is often thought of um, in terms of what we might call personal evangelism, meaning uh, as I go to my apartment complex, my condo, a friend's house, the gym, school, work, that as I'm going through the grocery store all of life, I'm seeking to be uh, salt and light and look for opportunities to personally communicate the gospel to people in the normal stuff of everyday life. Uh, That is the way I think the majority of people today think about the Great Commission. Uh, I would submit to you that it certainly does include that. It does mean that. All of us have a unique voice because we've been filled with the Spirit, because we know the gospel, we have a unique voice that no one else has to the particular people we're around to try to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we very much ought to do that. However, The thing I would want to ask is, is there more than that meant by the Great Commission? Uh, To put that another way, when the disciples heard Jesus say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples, what was it that they heard Him to be saying? Did they hear, do personal evangelism? If so, did they hear only do personal evangelism? Do you understand my question? Okay, so um, what did they understand Him to mean? I would submit to you that I believe they understood Him to mean this. Make disciples. How? Well, by baptizing and teaching. Those are the means. Now, this, of, of course, baptizing assumes... You've communicated the gospel, they've responded to it, they're evidencing and testifying of that in their baptism, and then they're being taught to grow up in the faith. So, number one, He meant make disciples by means of baptizing and teaching, and number two, He meant do so through church planting… and strengthening. I'm out of a room. Jesus meant make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them in the context of starting and strengthening churches. That's what the disciples heard Jesus to be saying. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that that's what they understood Jesus to mean? Well, turn to the book of Acts. Look with me, if you would, at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Who would read that one for us? Acts 1, 8. Somebody just stand up. Okay, this is something else Jesus said right before he left. Very similar. It's Luke's version of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. You will be my uh, witnesses. In an individualistic society, that it, in an individualistic churches, it's easy to hear Acts 1.8 as go do personal evangelism. And I would say it includes that, but it's not only that, because what happens. Well, the Spirit then comes in Acts chapter 2. So, all those who are already following Jesus in Jerusalem receive the indwelling of the Spirit. Peter then stands up and preaches the first big sermon, and the church is born. So, flip to Acts 2.41. People respond to the preaching of the gospel, and Brittany, will you do that one also? Acts 2.41. Peter preaches his sermon, people respond with faith and repentance, then they are baptized, and what happens? Well, they're added. Added to what? They're, They're added to the very first church, the church of Jerusalem. And the rest of Acts is about the spread of the gospel through making disciples and planting churches. So, how do we know the disciples heard Jesus to say, go start churches and strengthen churches? Because that's what Acts is. That is the story of the the ministry of Jesus continuing, His body, the body of Christ, continuing as the Spirit spread the gospel. Churches were born. Those churches then continued to reach their cities, and then it spread elsewhere, and the same thing happened. Now, beyond Acts, what do we have? Well, the rest of the New Testament. Who's the New Testament written to? It's written to churches and church leaders. Why? Because that's what everybody understood Jesus to be saying in Matthew 28. The center of what I'm going to do is going to be done through the body of Christ, the people of God. So, the big idea from this session of what I'm trying to kind of persuade you towards is that God's design is that churches would labor in love to help other churches. God's design is that churches would labor in love to help other churches. So we're trying to highlight that in our in our new proposed purpose statement. A church family making disciples and helping churches for the worship and glory of God. So, how does, how does a church help another church? How, how, practically, what does that mean? And what individual part could you play in it? I just want to touch on those things very briefly and uh, in the next 30 minutes or so, and then we'll spend the last 15 minutes or so praying about this together. At the macro level, there's four kinds of help that churches can provide other churches. Uh, Number one, we can help by starting new churches. So, that's commonly referred to as planting today. We can help by starting new churches. Number two, we can help by revitalizing dying churches. It's a particular issue here in Arizona there. Number three, we can help by strengthening struggling churches. And number four, we can partner or partnering with healthy churches. So how do churches labor and love to help other churches? I think those are the four major ways. We help by starting new ones, by revitalizing dying ones, by strengthening the struggling ones, by partnering with healthy ones. Uh, My youngest brother is named Chris, and he pastors a church called Witten Avenue Bible Church. It's about 15 to 20 minutes northeast of here, and he puts it like this. Churches must care for and sacrifice to see other churches thrive because we prioritize kingdom growth over empire building. We prioritize kingdom growth over empire building. We want to focus on how can we, as the Lord is maturing us, help other people rather than how do we make sure we and only we succeed? God's work is bigger than one local church, and maturing Christians care about gospel progress in other churches. Now, before we kind of um, go into those four things a little bit, just a little bit of detail on them, um, before we talk about the how of helping churches, I want to make sure that you're convinced this is biblical, not just sort of sexy. So, uh, I want you to feel convicted that the Bible says we're supposed to do this, not just it sounds good. And so, uh, let me give you four pieces of evidence very briefly that in addition to Matthew 28 and addition to Acts 1.8, in addition to the movement of the gospel starting churches in Acts, in addition to the fact that all the rest of the New Testament is written to churches and pastors. What, What are other lines of evidence? Let me give you four. Number one, uh, think about the greetings that we find in the epistles. Uh, It's it's pretty clear in places like Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, that there was, in early Christianity, there was a mutual love and concern for each other beyond just one local church. And um, there was a awareness of names and uh, a blessing of one to another. Uh, That seems to communicate that there wasn't an isolationism, there wasn't a self-consumption in one specific place. Um, Number two, uh, churches seem to have, have known of each other, and not only known of each other, but known of particular uh, strengths other churches had and received benefit from those. So, a couple of examples of this. First, Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians seven says, you, meaning the church in Thessalonica, became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That, that one church was an example to all the other churches. There, there was a sense in which The other churches were looking to that church as an example. Later in the same letter, the next chapter, for you brothers became imitators of churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So, how did the church in Thessalonica become an example to the churches in Macedonia and Achaia? Well, it's because they received benefit, blessing, modeling from the churches that are in Judea. There was a connectivity in a world that didn't have iPhones, where, like, you, you, you had to write stuff down and carry it on a horse. Can you imagine that? There was no tweeting. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Um, it's very clear in the New Testament that church life for the early Christians wasn't something merely on Sunday morning, but as Hansley said, it spills out into your home, it spills out into the rest of your life, and you're concerned about Christians in other places. That seems very, very evident, that they knew of each other and received benefit from one another. Two more. Number three, uh, there is a huge emphasis in the New Testament on a particular kind of ministry, and it was a focus on famine relief. Paul invested a tremendous effort in helping Gentile churches who had received the gospel from the church in Jerusalem to raise money over an extended period of time to send it back to the city of Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem, to help and strengthen them in the famine that they faced. And it, it was because of he was he was aiming to communicate a spiritual reality. You are you you are sort of our our fathers and mothers in the faith, Christians from Jerusalem. And now you, you are really hurting physically for food. And there's not means through which you can have enough resources to take care of it. And so we who have received spiritual benefit from you and the rest of the world. Are sending back that you might receive physical benefit, which would have encouraged them spiritually. This was a major focus in the latter third of Paul's life, and it communicated the unity of Jew and Gentile in the big C universal church. There was a concern, a connectivity there. Um, finally, number four, um, I'd encourage you to just sometimes read Acts really carefully, and you'll, you'll find just how centered it is on the continued work of Jesus Christ through His body, the body of Christ. So I think those are four lines of evidence that get us to seeing this is, this is a normal thing in the New Testament. In our remaining few minutes, I want to try to answer two questions. Um, Number one, is there a need? Is there a need for churches to help churches? And number two, um, how? How would we go about this labor of love? Is there a need, and how would we go about it? Uh, For the sake of time, in terms of the first one, need, let's think about Arizona primarily. Uh, There there is an urgent need in Arizona to start, revitalize, support, and strengthen churches. And let me try to very briefly persuade you of that. Did you know that a report came out recently that that said Maricopa County is the fastest-growing county in the United States? did you know that that same report said the same thing last year and the year before that? That Maricopa County has consistently for several years been the fastest growing county in the United States. Uh, Number two, did you know that of the 15 fastest growing cities in the entire United States, five of them are in the Phoenix metro area? That's a third, a third of the fastest-growing cities in the entire United States are within uh, an hour drive in the metro area of right where we're sitting today. Um, A study done by the Census Bureau and another done by the New York Times says that between 2010 and 2020, Phoenix, the city of Phoenix, grew by 262,000 people. So I'm not talking about Goodyear, um, Tempe, but Phoenix itself. Phoenix grew by a quarter of a million people. It had the largest absolute increase in population of any city in the United States over that decade. And that's in 2020, so pre-COVID. What's happened since COVID? Well, how many thousands of people have fled just California to come here in the last three years? So, there is an enormous swell of people coming to the valley. Um, think about our own town. How, how many things are... We can't go this way anymore, so we're going this way. How many... How many built When I moved here 14 years ago, there were... Two high-rise structures in Tempe. They were these apartments um, for, I, I don't remember what those are called now the big, the big towers over here, and they were nothing but steel that had been erected and then sat empty for years, because when the economy popped, the man that owed them, the man that owned them went bankrupt and he hung himself. And no one had the resources through which to finish them off. How many things have been built since then? How many things are being built right now around us? We're, the the area is just absolutely exploding. Okay? So there are more and more and more and more and more and more people coming here to Arizona, to the valley. How about churches? Are we keeping up with that growth? Well, All the major groups that do polling show that even prior to the pandemic, some say hundreds, others say thousands of churches relative to the number being planted are closing. So, we're losing conservatively hundreds, more aggressively thousands more churches every year than we're starting Anecdotally, I'd tell you, and I don't think I should say who said this, but I was two weeks ago having lunch with a major um, a major denominational leader over the whole state of Arizona who a pho- his phone rang over lunch. He looked at it, and he said. He said jokingly, based on the phone call, "Um, well, that wasn't a call about a church closing. And in fact, no Southern Baptist church has closed in Arizona today, but it's only noon. He, he, He said it as though I'm getting these calls every day, and when my phone rings, it's what I'm expecting. That broke my heart. And we're in a state where both NPR and Barna consistently rank Phoenix among the top ten least reached, least church states and cities in the U.S. There's a tremendous need here for new work. That's to say nothing of the individuals that you know that you interact with, who don't know Christ. There are so many lost people here. And in God's wisdom, He's put us here in such a time as this. So, is there a need? There's a tremendous need. There's a tremendous need for healthy churches who are looking to help other churches. This is a very unique opportunity that God set before us. So, how? How do we go about this. Well, think again with me in those four categories. Start, uh, revitalize, strengthen, and partner. As we try to think about how do we help other churches, how do we labor in love, those are the four categories really we can put these in. Uh, We've long believed that God would have us as a church move from what we've been doing, which is trying to raise up and send individuals out. Again, that could be a a lay person who's never going to work on a church staff as far as they know, never going to be a pastor, but they're going thoughtfully to become a member of and help another church. Um, there needs to be a tidal wave of that. Um, all the way to we send Phil and Julie Hoshiwara to live in Thailand and to start a, a gospel preaching church in a city that has not one in the entire city. In both cases, especially. In the case of sending out a new work, a plant or a revitalization, we would love to become a place where there's enough of us around and we're sort of stable enough that we can send not only Phil and Julie, but we could send four or five or six or seven or eight people with them not who would be employed by that church, but who would find jobs and give their lives to that work. What if when Brian Jerry went to uh, Light in the Desert, that one would be an example of revitalization, they've got a facility that makes me drool compared to ours. It's wonderful, it's amazing, and there was 18 members. pastor before the pastor that he inherited embezzled a whole bunch of money, and it just destroyed the church, as you can imagine. And so, uh, they had great facilities, but they had no money and nothing, no, no spiritual activity that was positive. We announced to Church on Mill, um, anybody want to go with them? And one young couple went, and several years later, Another, an older couple went, but what if we had been able to send twenty-five or thirty people right from the beginning? Um, We have um, we 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 long to grow numerically, not uh, to be bigger for being bigger's sake, but so that uh, if if you have 250 people, sending 30 or 40 or 50 is a really, really big deal. If you have 400 people, it's it's not near as big a deal. You're still going to feel it, but you're not sort of gutting the ministry in a way that you lose a whole lot of steam and momentum. And so, as you know, if you've been around a while, we're praying that the Lord would allow us to reach more people and to save up and have more money, and better facilities in order to then really, really give ourselves to these four things, starting, revitalizing, strengthening, and partnering. Um, We've lacked a vehicle for the first one, starting healthy churches, and now we have one here in the state of Arizona called The Grove. This is a collaboration now between eight churches in which… eight churches this year have contributed $10,000 each to begin the work of putting together an organization that would then together try to plant churches. Our hope is that in 2023, God would raise up the first person who would pastor a brand new church somewhere, likely in the valley, probably in one of these five top fastest growing cities and then all eight churches would say to their church, would any of you consider moving? Let's just, this is not a proclamation, it's just an example. Um, Let's say it's Goodyear. Would you consider moving to Goodyear to be part of that new church? Uh, Lord willing, God will raise someone up and we'll have the mechanisms in place to try to do that together in 2023. Um, starting new churches is very, 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 very hard, and so if you can start with a co- uh, a a, um, a core team rather than sending out one lame duck, it's much more likely to survive because there's encouragement and spiritual benefit from one to the other, and there's more resources to try and get the work done, and so. Um, A way to try to go about this is to work with other churches to try to send people. And so, um, that's a wonderful new initiative that the Lord has um, given us. A second way we can try to go about this together, which I just talked about some, um, is through uh, revitalizing. One way we can try to revitalize is uh, through the residency program, raising up people who know how to help pastor churches and can help turn them around, but it might be that um, the Lord would want uh, you when you leave here to try to join a church in which there is a leader that, or leaders that you respect and who um, are committed to the Scriptures, Um, but the church itself is really, really, really just prying the coffin open and is about to climb in. Um, That is the majority of Southern Baptist churches in the state of Arizona. Maybe the Lord would have you go join one of those kind of places. You don't want to do that if there's not a a, a leader who's healthy, because you put your own spiritual self at risk then. But if if there's a good leader and it's just new, and that work hasn't been very far down the road yet. Maybe the Lord would have you join somewhere like that. We want to work hard at this together in ways that we already have, but see even more happen. Um, A third way we can go about this together is through strengthening struggling churches. Um, Think about uh, the way we pray together on Sunday mornings. Think about trying to send members thoughtfully when they move to other places. Uh, Think about our partnership with Phoenix Seminary and Simeon Trust and uh, the way you serve and give to those and welcome new people in. Um, One of the really cool things God's doing right now in terms of strengthening other churches is sort of through the back door. So, Christian Challenge is um, a, uh, a, a local ministry in that it's it's our vehicle, it's sort of the the, the branding on our collegiate ministry. But there's uh, how many are there now? Do you know any of you that work with how many sites? Do you know Brandon? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 somewhere between ten and twenty, isn't it? Okay, so there are. Um, let's just say, middle of the road, 15. There are 15 other churches around the state of Arizona that have a Christian challenge chapter. And um, not all of them, but a lot of those churches, I would put in the category of they're struggling churches, and they need strengthening. And one way they're trying to do that is, let's get some young blood in, because that makes things exciting, rather than thinking uh, we need to get deeper into the gospel in Christ, and He'll give us life. And so, what's something that's happening is through our Christian challenge and the great uh, students and volunteers and staff is there's an influence happening in all of these other churches that have Christian challenges. So, it's, it's a little bit um, covert, but there's a modeling happening that's blessing other places. I think it's one of the coolest, neatest things happening right now. So, that's a way, to, that's a way we're strengthening other churches. Finally, um, we want to be careful to say uh, it's not like we've got everything figured out. We, we need other people who have the same theology, the same kind of philosophy of ministry, who we're closely connected to, because we'll receive benefit from them because they'll be good at things we're not, and we'll learn and grow from them. So, um, at a kind of macro level, when we mean we want to be a church family, uh, making disciples, and helping churches, this is what we mean, that there would be a connectivity in these kinds of ways, and it may feel rather distant from the, the individual member in the individual chair, but it's, but it's really not at all. Um, each of you are a part of this if this is uh, your church. And I would encourage you to consider um, how might God have you lean in in that even more in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. Um, in closing… Uh, God's design is that churches would labor in love to help other churches. And you're involved by praying, by giving, by growing, by considering going yourself. And in this particular church, you're especially involved by investing in students and scholars who are in this church for a while, but the majority of whom won't be here long, long, long term. And our, Those of us who stay, and it's, on Wednesday night I met with a member who's been here about the same amount of time as I have, and she said, um, almost there are very few people here who were here when I started, and there's a sense in which there's some grief about that because of the relationships that she had built. I get that. It can feel here like you're you're hugging people in a parade, and just passing by and it can cause, if you're not careful, some fatigue of why, why work at it. They're, they're, they're just going to leave. Um, and I would just encourage you to say, um, stagnant water gets putrid, but a flowing stream brings constant health. We have a very unique blessing in that the Lord's constantly bringing more people into sort of a a, um, a glorious, loving mess. And they mature, and they help us mature, and then many of them move on. And there is a little fatigue that can come from, I'm just constantly meeting new people. But consider the alternative. It's nobody ever new is around. And friends, that again, that is the majority of at least Southern Baptist churches in our own state. So, the more you lean into that and are a part of it and receive benefit from it, um, the more we're together, not me and my preaching. Me and my preaching is designed to equip you to do the real work. This is not the work. You do the work. As you love people, have them over for a meal, use the things that you're good at in life to equip students and scholars, and then they go with a vision for church that will impact them the rest of their lives. Imagine I can imagine in heaven all the people with the serving gifts who are part of this church and who stay put. I think you'll have lines of people once you get there, ready to talk to you about a lifetime of things they've done because you let them do their laundry at your house, and you invested in mentoring and discipling them. It's a wonderful work we have to do together, and I just praise God for you that today we haven't really said anything to you that's probably new or different, and this isn't a course correction. It's more oh, let's lift our heads out of the business for a moment and realize what's happened and what's happening and just say it out in the forefront. And let's charge the hill together because there's much left to do. Amen? So, thank you for all that you are and all that you're doing. I can't imagine being anywhere else, and it's such a pleasure to see you serve in the ways that you're serving.